This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. Everybody has a goal. Everybody says, hey, I want to I get this sorted. I want to get this. You know, I want to lose some kilograms. I'm going to exercise this year. I'm going to read more books. I'm going to you know, manage my finances better. I'm going to work on my relationships more. I'm going to build my career. Every one of us have those types of goals. But I don't know if you've noticed... Those things don't really work, do they? Because some of us are looking back at the year for gone by, and you're like, I wanted to read the Bible through in a year, and I didn't do it. But maybe, can I change your perspective? Perhaps this past year, even though you didn't get through the entire Bible, that may have been the year that you read the most amount of Bible you've ever read in your life. Before. If you're thinking about your life, and if you're thinking about this coming year, God is giving us some choices. He is asking and inviting us, saying, listen, I've got more for you, but you've got a choice. And today I want to speak to us about the choice between life and death. And God wants you and I to choose life. And we, our scripture today is in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Uh, it is, we're going to be reading the entire chapter. It's 20 verses. Um, and I would love for us to, to start off by allowing God's word to really penetrate. Not a little tidbit. Oh, you version, verse of the day. Can we, can we get into chunky parts of the word in this coming year? And uh, let me read for us. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, And when all these things came to pass, or come to pass, or come upon you, the blessings and the curse, which I have set before you, this is Moses speaking, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has given you, or has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, and all your, your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the utmost parts of the heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Verse 7, And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecute you, and you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you. He as he took delight in your fathers. When you open and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. There's a couple of things that keep repeating here, eh? Verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too, far, too hard for you. Neither they say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over to the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. It's very encouraging. Then Moses continues. He says in verse 15, See, I have set before you today life and death, 
death and evil. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God and by walking in His ways and by keeping His commandments and His statutes, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. But if your hearts turn away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, you shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice and holding fast to Him. For He is your life and your length of days. That you may dwell in the land the Lord has swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, Jacob. To give them. A bit of a mouthful. But I want you to hear, Moses is speaking to the people of Israel, and he's giving them this promise. He's coming to the end of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy um, is really the book of the law. It's a renewal of the covenant. It's the renewal of the promise. And it's very important for you and I to see, even as we start this new year, for many of us, this is sort of a time of re resolutions, New Year's. It's a renewal of our promise, a renewal saying, Lord, this, this year around... I'm going to try again. I'm going to do some things. And Moses is saying to the people, if you keep God's heart, keep His commandments, keep His word in your heart, and obey His voice, you'll be blessed. If you don't, then you'll be cursed. You'll experience curses. And that's, that sounds very strong, you know. Uh, if you look at chapter 28, listing all these curses, and then there's some blessings, and then it goes back to curses. And one uh, biblical scholar or commentator said, you know, if you get to about verse 10, of chapter 28, you know, you're listing all the, the, the curses, you know. You're like, Yo, okay, Lord, I get the picture. I get the picture of what awaits me when I don't obey your word, when I don't live a life that honors you. And, and for many of us, I think we can think of God almost as, as almost, it feels like he's, he's at, at odds with himself. Because on the one hand, we have this God who is all-loving and all-forgiving and, and all-powerful and able to look over our sins, you know. But then on the other hand, especially if you read this, this passage, you go like, but all this judgment and curse and condemnation that comes, you almost feel like, is this the same God? You know, does God, and sometimes you read the Old Testament and the New Testament and it feels like God had a bit of a personality shift somewhere along the line, you know. But actually, it is the same person. God is speaking to us, and He is saying that He is a God of justice, but He's also a God of love. And, and if you and I want to experience Him and walk it in, you know, in the fullness of what He has for us, He wants us to experience His justice as well as His grace. Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the, the Mr. Abbey, he, he did a, a series of sermons on uh, revival. All of us want revival, eh? We talk, I, I heard on Life of M yesterday, someone was saying, this is the year of revival, it's going to happen this year, you know, and I'm like, revival happens all the time, it's not something that we wait, it's not an event that has to happen, it's a state of being, it's, I'm either dead or I'm alive, but I, I can't constantly die and then be revived the whole time, am I right? Who wants to live like that? The church isn't in revival, the church is alive and active at the moment, but you and I need to fanning to flame that passion for God's heart, that passion for His purposes, positioning ourselves saying, Lord, I want to experience all of what you have for me, 
and I don't want to miss out the bigger, the fullness of, your, of, of who you are because many of us see God only as the God who is going to judge us. And if I don't do all the things I'm supposed to do, he's going to judge me and curses are going to come upon me. Others of us say, no, God's an all-loving God. He overlooks all of my sins. So, you know, you know he's not going to really ever call me to account. So I can slip up as much as I want to because God's, he's going to give me another chance. And those two pictures are not complete. God, show me your glory. This is in Exodus uh, chapter 34, uh, verse 6 to 7. It says, um, Mo, you know, Moses asks him and, and God puts him in the cleft of the rock. And then it says the following, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, what? What did, Jesus, what did God proclaim to, him, to Moses? God's character, his nature. This is what it says. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and, and sin. We all love that. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, and their children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Wait a minute. God is revealing His character, His nature, and we see He's all-loving, forgiving, kind, merciful, but He requires a just payment. Our separation from God is clear. And in this world that we live in, and if, if you're entering into to this year, year and you've got some things, I'm, I'm sad to say this is what Moses is trying to say to us. Moses' whole you know, letter or, or, or this whole section that he writes in, in Deuteronomy, some theologians speak about it as, as his sermons. It's his, the first sermon series is found in Deuteronomy. And Moses' series is basically saying, here is the ultimate way you, you can live. If you want to live a righteous life, an integrous life, a blessed life, then this is how you should live. But it's almost like a national speech, you know, or watch those videos, those TED Talks. You're just like, oh man. You hear the, the, the motivational speaker, he tells you, this is how you can live. And these are the principles you can apply, and you can do it. Yes, you can. You can do it. And then actually, you know, now imagine that's what he does. He says all of that, and then at the end he says, in conclusion... I just want to let you know that you're going to do none of that stuff. You're not going to be able to do it. All of your good intentions, all of your motivation, all of your purpose and passion to say, I'm going to accomplish these amazing things. The fact of the matter is, none of us ever do it. Why don't we do it? Why do we listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy 30 and say, Wow, listen to, listen to all these blessings that God has promised me. Look at all these things I'm going to do. But Moses says to them, he says, but you're going to hear the word, word of the Lord, but you're not going to do it. You're not, your heart is going to be drawn away from my purposes. But there's very good news for you now because there is a way that we can accomplish these things. And I'm hoping that by the end of this message, you and I will be able to have some handles that as we enter into this, this year that we've got a right view of God, we've got a right view of ourselves, but we also have some very clear steps that you and I can take as we walk this out. God wants to forgive us. He wants to walk these things out with us and wants to show us more of what. And he's saying to you and I, there is a promised land that you're entering into. And, and there is something that God wants to take you into, but there is going to be required from you and I 
a specific way of walking. The first reality we need to realize is that we're going to fail, but God will help us. The, the secular scholar or philosopher, um, Jacob Needham, he, 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 or Needleman, he, he wrote a book once. So he's a secular art, uh, you know, scholar and philosopher. He, he called his book, Why Can't We Be Good? Why Can't We Accomplish These Things? And in some of his interviews, and Tim Keller shares this, this is where I got some of um, today's, um, just some beautiful pulls. Um, Tim Keller says, you know, when they were doing these interviews with him, you know, he's, he's a typical academic professor. There's no like, the book didn't really go much further than it, it did, but, but Needleman says the following, he says, you know, social theorists are writing for us all how we should live. Psychologists are telling us how we're supposed to live. Politicians are writing books and telling us how we should live. But the, we can't, exp- we can't uh, walk in those things. And the reality is all of us know what we're supposed to do, but we don't do it. I've sat many a times being counseled by someone, and then whatever the thing they say, I'm like, yes, I know, I know, yes, I know. But like, why don't you do it? I don't know. <laughs> and I've counseled other people, and I'm like, but you know what you're supposed to do. It's clear. It's obvious. Why don't we do that? Because at the, at the base of who we are, if we're going to try and accomplish these things in our own strength, we're not going to be able to do it. We need help. And if you and I are going to enter into this year, and we are going to accomplish some of those things we're trusting God to see and do, we're going to need to find a different way to express it. Now, there was a story of a, a psychology professor who did a case study with his, his, uh, his classroom. And he tells the story of a young man who, through therapy and counseling and to some of the things that they do as, as psychologists, he discovered that a large portion of the, the unhappiness and the strife and the challenge that he was experiencing in his life, was uh, the cause of it was because of a very intense hatred and disdain towards his mother because of how his mother treated him and what he experienced growing up. So his life was then completely you know, with destruction because of the stuff that he experienced. And, and the philosophy, uh, you know, or the psychology um, uh, professors, well, you know, that's, that's wonderful. That's, psychology helped him to discover it. But then one of the students piped up and said, sorry, sorry, professor, I just want to know, so how do I help this person? They've realized that they... They have this issue, what, how can I help them, you know? And the professor basically says, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, how do I help him forgive his mother so that he can overcome this issue? So the professor's response is, he says, um, there isn't anything I can do. Hopefully, he will now be able to understand his anger and hopefully not be driven by that anymore. So the other students in the classroom were pushing back, but that's not a, like, why are we studying psychology? We're trying to help people, yeah. But you're just telling them, you know, well, help people discover something and then send them on their way. Hopefully they'll figure it out. To which the, the professor basically in closing said, listen, if you guys are looking for a changed heart, you're looking in the wrong department. You're studying psychology to help someone change their heart, but they are not going to be able, you're, this is not the place that you're going to find help. And, I'm, and in saying this, I'm not saying that counseling and psychology doesn't have merit, isn't helpful, 
please don't hear what I'm not saying. But what I'm saying is, is that's the key or the core uh, basis, the foundation for which goals and do to do, do's and don'ts are not going to cut it for us as we go into this coming year. You see, friends, I think it's important for us to see this. Now, the reality is that for all of us, everything really springs from the heart. For this young man, if we want to accomplish and walk in what God has for us, we've got to shift our heart inclination. Am I right? But, but what you and I need to understand at the basis of our hearts is that, that we're inclined towards evil. We're inclined towards things that are not godly, that doesn't honor God. And sometimes we can look at the world around us and say, well, why do people act like this? And some people have the Bible, other people don't have the Bible, and sometimes we could even ask this question, but what about this person that doesn't have Jesus, never heard the gospel, how can God judge them for, for the inclination of their hearts? How can God actually keep them accountable? Because if God is a God of love, but He's also a God who judges sin, how can we reconcile those two things? And how can we actually access more of that? Um, you know, Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 2, he speaks about this reality that, you know, in chapter 1 he speaks about how our things. Chapter 2 he says, God actually gives every person opportunity to be saved. And when we are judged, even if we haven't, if we're a pagan and we've never heard the word of Jesus, they will be judged, what, according to their conscience. They'll be, you and I will be judged. Some of us will go but push back and say, how can a good God, I mean, you're holding someone accountable for something that they, they never heard, they could never do. So Francis Schaeffer used this example. He said, you know, perhaps the way to look at it is that for all of us, and especially for those that didn't have, don't have the Bible, don't, have never heard the gospel, for all of us, God would place a recorder around your neck. And every single time, you would cast judgment upon someone. Whenever you would say to someone, you ought to live like this, or I want you to do this, or this is the way you should live. Every single time you, you did that, the recorder would switch on and would record that. And if you then one day die, having never heard the gospel, what God would do is he would play back what is basically your own moral standard. Am I right? And you would be judged not according to God's law, but actually according to the law that you have set for yourself. And the reality is if we're all honest, none of us would be able to measure up. None of us would even fulfill our own moral standing. And in the same way you and I can look at our, our, our lives, is we're not going to be able to accomplish it in our own. We need to, we need to experience that. God, God needs to fix our hearts. We need something to change in our hearts. What is the heart? I, I want to ask you, what is a heart? Because Moses speaks about this, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with, uh, that you may live. We see this picture of circumcision throughout the Bible. Jeremiah and Ezekiel speaks about a new covenant being cut for us. Um, it is a reality that is also mentioned in Romans uh, chapter uh, 2 as well. It says, the Jew is one inwardly, um, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So God is he's saying that for all of us, 
our hearts need to be circumcised. For a Jew, it's circumcision on the outside. But for us, if we want to experience what God has for us, we've got to have a heart change happen. Now, what is a heart? The English word, you know, says that the heart is, you know, is the seat of the emotions, how I feel. And in our society today, everything pushes towards that. Everything says, follow your heart, brother. Just do, just do what's in your heart. Oh, if, it, if it feels fast, you're going, I'm checking some of you guys are like, yeah, yeah, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> don't go into this year, it's just like, oh, I'm just going to. The Bible actually says that the heart is, is the center of our being. We see in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6, and many of us, as we start this new year, we, this is what our favorite verse, you know, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. We love it. But what does that actually mean when I trust in the Lord? What does the heart do? The heart is inclined. It says, trust in the Lord. In, in Genesis 6, we see how God speaks and he says, you know, man's heart is only inclined towards what? Evil. So your heart is set apart. It's set upon a particular place. So you and I need to learn how we, are, how we handle and how we work with our hearts and what we fill our hearts with. You know, the Archbishop William Temple, he said that a religion is what you do with your solitude. As he was sharing with us today, by just having a moment of silence. My true understanding, if you want to know what you really worship, have a moment of doing nothing. Silence. Now, for those of us that are a little bit older, you still remember having to wait for a bus or a train, you and your thoughts. But if you had to think about it today, you know, we're like, we're forever. It's been so refreshing for me this holiday. My... Um, my internet ran out on my, on my data package or whatever. And I haven't been able to, I could only connect with them in a Wi-Fi zone. So many a times I was alone with my thoughts. And so what the Archbishop said is that whatever, whenever you and I are alone with our thoughts, wherever your mind goes, that is the thing that you most value. That is the thing that you worship most. That is the thing that you find greatest joy in. Now it's getting very quiet here. Because all of us are confronted with this reality of where our hearts are at. And if you're looking at this coming year and going, Lord, I just want to experience all that you have for me, you and I need to find what, you know, what is at the seat of our heart. Because the reality, I love what Tim Keller says, he says, what the heart most wants, the, mind's, the mind finds reasonable, the emotions find desirable, and the will finds doable. I'm going to say again. What the heart wants most, the mind finds reasonable, the emotions find desirable, and the will finds doable. So whatever you fill your heart with, that is what somehow along the line you're going to be able to convince it. You know, many of us have bought presents over December. Your heart was like, yes, I want that thing, and, you, and everything else is like followed. And you look back and you're like, oh, bad decision, I shouldn't have done that. So what does it mean that you and I would circumcise our hearts? That is a, it's a, obviously, like I said, a, a, a biblical idea, but it's a scary thought. Have you, have you ever really thought about what circumcision really means? You know, I know in Sunday school, you know, we, like you always hear about it, and then, 
then you never really get to, get to ask that question. But maybe if you get a little bit older, at some point someone's like, you're like, sorry, teacher, please just explain to me. What is circumcision? And then when someone explains it to you, you go, ugh, that's terrible. Who would want to go through that? I mean, maybe some other part of your body, some other way of saying, this is how I'm consecrated to God. But what circumcision is, is cutting off. It's cutting off. It's saying on the outside what's happening on the inside. And for you and I, we're not Jews. God's not requiring of us to be physically circumcised, but He wants us, our hearts to be circumcised. And He's asking you and I, what are you willing to show that your heart is inclined towards me? And it's so easy for us, you know, I can say all the right words and I can do all the things I need to do, but... You and I need to experience and express that. Circumcision is a covenant. Before we get married and I'm like, I'm in love with her and she's amazing and, you know. But then at some point, every relationship that's worth its salt gets to this point. Especially if you're entering into into covenant. At some point, she asks me to do something that I don't want to do. In fact, when I was living with my parents, they asked me, not to do it, and I was like, mind your own business. I'm going to do what I want to do. But now, because I love, and because my heart is inclined towards her, I'm like, your wish is my command, Danny. <laughs> I'm willing to, to put it away. I'm willing to, to, to sacrifice. So if you and I are looking at our circumcision of our hearts, friends, if my love towards Jesus is inclined towards that, no matter what he asks me, whatever he says, cut that thing off. Give more time to this. Prioritize that. Give here. Serve. Make sure that you're in. Are you in? God wants you and I to have our hearts inclined towards him. Because that's how we will experience and express that. Something that we can, like I said, do on our own. Just... In this, just the last part of 2022 now, 23, we're going fast as 22. I embarked on a journey which, which really helped me to understand in a different way. Often how I've experienced or um, wanted to pursue my uh, deeper relationship with Jesus, I would, I would think of it as, okay, I've got to fill my mind with more stuff from God's Word, which is helpful. I've got to surround myself with community of people, someone that's, that's encouraging me along the way, someone that's in the same boat as me. Uh, I also need to have somebody that's a, bit, a little bit ahead of me, a mentor, or somebody that's encouraging me. Um, and, and what I found is that there were so, so many things I was just not doing. I wasn't getting to. I wasn't actually growing. Some people, you know, they, they sit in church and then months go by and then they're like, I'm just not growing anymore. Have you ever heard that one? I'm not growing yet. This church doesn't make me grow. I'm like, well, last time I checked, I can't make you grow. I can maybe play some nice music for the plant, and then maybe that'll make it grow, but it's the environment it's in, and it's the choice of the plant whether or not it's going to grow. But what I've realized is as I'm in my pursuit of growth, in, in my pursuit of, of Jesus, just having those expressions were not enough that God has for us. You see, friends, we have to be surrounded by others. You cannot do this Christian life without community. You need people around you that are 
on the same journey as you. They are different boats, but they experience the same storms. We go through life together. We, have to, we need one another. We also need somebody that's a few steps ahead of speaking to your life and give you some encouragement and direction. But actually, all of us also need someone that is like a coach. I signed up for a, with a friend of mine. Um, on, you know, he does some life coaching. And it was amazing for me how he defined these different relationships. He said, you know, my, my, my peer relationships, that, that encourages me, and I'm, we're in the same sort of journey. A mentor, they basically set the nature of our relationship. They, in a sense, say, okay, let's work on this. Let's look at that, you know, grow here. They, in a sense, are helping me grow in that way. But all of us need a coach. And what a coach basically does is a coach asks you, what do you want to grow in? What goals do you have? If you're looking at your New Year's resolutions for this year, if you had to ask yourself, what are some of those goals you want, you are only going to accomplish them if you've got this type of relationship in your life. What a coach does and what this coach does for me, three goals I want to work on. Then as we go, let's look at goal number one. And we do a few deep dives and we look at different aspects and, and I kind of, I'm, I'm helping, he's helping me with a facilitation to discover some of the elements that would be helpful for me. But then we finish our session, and he says, okay, you know, in two weeks' time we're meeting again, and then I'm going to ask you, how's it going? What, what are some action steps that you want to take? And the next time around, hey, there he is, the first, time, first thing out of his mouth. So how did it go with your goals? He's not a mentor that says, I've put certain things. All he's doing is saying, you've put some goals, and I'm holding you accountable. I'm encouraging you. I'm empowering you to accomplish those things. In the same sense for us in our walk with Jesus and in this coming year, can I ask you to surround yourself with some people who could help you with that? So as you set your New Year's resolutions, as you incline your heart to some specific things, can you approach it in a different way and say, let me have some clear steps that I want to take and let me incline my heart and then also let me have somebody that keeps me accountable. That doesn't just say, oh, shame, buddy, let's try again next week. I also struggle with it. I also didn't get my goals right, you know. Sometimes, I mean, we're going into a fast. I'm, I'm telling you I know what's coming this week. Ainsley and I are going to be having to, to really fight one another off to saying, listen, just keep at it. Don't, don't slip. Just go for it. Just get through the first few days. I wanna, let's circumcise our hearts and let's walk in this covenant that God has for us. There is, this is part of the, the Bible um, narrative. It's part of what God wants you and I to experience. You see, friends, if you're far from God, and even if we are wanting to walk in God's way, Moses says to the people of Israel, it's like, listen, it's not difficult for you to know what God's will is. It's right here. And God is even to an extent placed within our hearts something of that moral compass. It's not difficult for you and I to know what we ought to do. But what we need to do and what we need to be willing to do is saying, Lord, I need you to do that for me. That's why Jesus became the curse for us. That's why Jesus became the one that would enter into this life for us. If we look at this picture of circumcision, what happens in circumcision? Something is cut off. What happened with Jesus? He was cut off from the presence of God on our behalf. You and I were supposed to be cut off from God's presence, never be able to enter in, never be able to know His will, never be able to access relationship with Him. None of us could experience that. 
But you and I need to understand that Jesus did that on our behalf. We see that in Colossians chapter 2. It speaks about that. I want to encourage you. That same baptism, some of the translations speak about the baptism of the baptism of Christ, a more price that we would be circumcised with. We become one with Jesus because of what he's done for us. And if we want to walk in all that God, if we want to experience blessing and not curse, if we want to experience life and not death, and we want to choose life, we should choose a life that follows after Christ. It says, Lord, I want to, I'm going to incline my heart towards what you're saying. I'm going to fill my heart and life with your, 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 your presence. And I want you to understand that the, the, some of our understanding of, of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, sometimes we think of, so what, what you say, Gareth, what you're saying is I need to do a bunch of stuff. The prosperity gospel, which is a false gospel, says if you, if you do this and this and this and this and this, then you're going to access an appropriate God's blessing. At the same time, it also says if you do these and these and these things, you're going to experience God's curse and wrath. That's not the true gospel. The true gospel says when you and I put our faith in Jesus, confess with our heart and with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He paid the ultimate price. And out of that relationship with Him, He helps us to incline our hearts towards God. We are filled with His Spirit. We're surrounded by others around us. We are able to experience the life that God has for us. And I want to encourage us, can you and I choose today to choose life? To choose the better thing? Do not be like down the line, because Moses is, promise, is prophesying to them, saying, listen, you're going to go into exile, but I'm going to bring you back. If you've been in exile this past year, or for many years, I'm going to ask you to come back. God's saying to you, I'm giving you an opportunity to come back. It's not too late. If you've got breath in your lungs, you and I are able to experience that. It's amazing for me to see that as Moses finishes this chapter in, in chapter 30, the very next chapter begins to speak about Joshua and how God was going to help the people of Israel access the promised land. And I really do believe that God wants to take you and I into the promises that he has for us. But what he requires of us is the following. It says in, in chapter 31, verse uh, 6, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God who goes with you, he will not leave you or forsake you. We are entering into this year, into the promises and purposes of God, not by ourselves. But God is always with us. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. and He will empower you as you follow him. Let's pray that you are God. And today, Lord, we want to, first of all, have a right understanding of who you are. You are a God who fully forgives, but you're also a God who, who requires reckoning. And today, Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can experience forgiveness of what you've done for us on the cross, Lord. You were cut off that we may be united with God. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to go up into the heavens to find some guru somewhere far away across the seas in order to find life, Lord Jesus. We have it right now with us in your word, in this community, um, and in your presence. And I pray, Father, for us as a church in 2023 that we would be a people whose hearts are circumcised towards you, Lord, which is inclined towards you, Jesus, that out of our love relationship with you, out of our adoration for you, we would say, Lord, your wish is my command. 
nothing you ask of me is too much because I can see the value. I can see the treasure that you've set before me. Lord, I want to pray tonight, today just for every person that, that's far from you today, Lord, that, that started this year and just said, I need to get to God. I need to make my life right. If that's you today, I want to thank you and encourage you and say well done for taking this time and being intentional with that. I also want to ask you to see you, the cares of this world, the enemy, and, and something of our selfish desires will not keep you on track with God. You need community. You need encouragement. And I want to encourage you then to stop by the Jesus Equals Life board, to add a light bulb to the board, but also then can live this life that God has promised you. Don't allow today to go by without telling somebody, without taking that next step. For the rest of us, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be a people of your presence, fully devoted, Lord, and as we go into this fast, Lord, as a church, we thank you and we can trust you for greater impact, that we would truly shine your light, the God colors of this world. How would people taste godliness if we lose our saltiness? Lord, we want to permeate every part of our city. And in this year to come, Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified, that you'd be magnified, that people would come to know and experience you in greater measure, Lord. We would see the lost saved. We would see each and every one of us becoming more like Jesus, being matured in every way, experiencing your love and your grace. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times, or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.